please note that this episode contains examples and discussions of dating violence that may be triggering or upsetting to some listeners. Prevnet's National Youth Advisory Committee is passionate about creating youth-focused resources to promote healthy relationships and prevent teen dating violence. Today, we're talking about psychological dating violence, also known as emotional abuse. In part two, we'll talk about the effects of emotional abuse, how emotional abuse is portrayed in media, and how to get support. My name is Miriam, and I am the host of today's episode, along with Alexis and Annabelle. We're joined by Dr. Maisha Saida and Dr. Jessica Wright. Dr. Saida is a licensed clinical counseling and school psychologist and researcher at Western University in Ontario. Dr. Wright is an assistant professor focusing on gender-based violence, sexual health and consent education at McEwen University in Edmonton. Now I'll pass the mic to Alexis. So I'm wondering, what are the ways that emotional abuse can be portrayed in popular culture and media? And does that have any impact on the way that folks perceive that or experience it? Some stories in movies or TV shows, there's often like a need to justify the perpetrator's behaviors. And the justification is sort of like, they're also going through something. It's just their expression of love. You know, they don't know how to express their love better. And, you know, they actually have a really nice soft heart, but because, you know, they have a tough job and they have all these stressful things, they just actually need the compassion and unconditional support from their partner to really let him to calm down and learn how to express love. Right. So which really uh, puts a lot of obligation and responsibility actually on the victim, not only to endure the emotional abuse, but also somehow teach the perpetrator how to fix abuse and how to act differently. And sometimes they are portrayed as these great love stories, right? Um, And that's a very problematic uh, narrative. And I think that when we watch that, especially as youth, we are much, we, we much more susceptible, right? Again, because we do not have other resources or other ways to really understand this, we often do rely on media, TikTok, Instagram, And that could also change our understanding and uh, potential plans of how we would react and respond to emotional uh, abusive, you know, uh, from a, a racial diverse perspective. And I'm thinking about many Bollywood movies where certain things happen, where, you know, there, the masculinity is very much celebrated and that uh, and some of these emotional abusive behaviors are actually more aligned with masculine love. So, yeah, so I think that if we are exposed to that, even directly or indirectly, that's the messages that unfortunately young people can pick up um, and they may might take on that role that um, it's not my job just to endure it, but I also need to teach this person how to be better, which should not be the case. Yeah, I think that, you know, of course, the media portrayals in the media deeply influence what we become to understand as normal in our society for relationships. And we need to talk a lot more about critical media literacy. I mean, our society is so steeped in this virtual world that most of us live in, right? Um, And spend so much time in. We see a shifting digital landscape. So we need more literacy, I think, on this issue. And 
awareness about how it's impacting teen dating violence, because it certainly is. Thank you so much for both of your awesome insights on this. If someone has experienced emotional abuse, how can that affect them in other relationships as they grow up? You know, we have been talking a lot about those examples of concrete behaviors of emotional abuse, right? So let's think about the direct uh, impact, right? So uh, if somebody is constantly monitoring us, constantly making fun of us, teasing us, restricting us, it makes sense why you are feeling anxious, why you're scared, why you're nervous, why you're constantly on edge and restless because you're like, what am I, what am I going to do next? What, what's going to be the next form of the emotional abuse, right? So the research has documented, we have seen it in a, you know, we have seen a relationship between experiencing emotional abuse and rise in mental health challenges, including anxiety, depression. But it also just makes sense that when you're going through such difficult moments, sometimes the brain and the body may not come up with the best coping strategies because it's hard. So we then we also see increases in disorder eating or eating disorders. We also see substance use or substance dependence uh, because, you know, we, we're sort of just running out of gears to how to take care of ourselves in healthy ways. And sometimes because somebody else is taking away the control and power from our life, we want to gain control in some other ways. And sometimes that power and control could be through eating and substance use or other ways of uh, self-harming ourselves. Um, again, some, you know, we talked about this confusion, this uh, uh, sp spectrum of different types of emotions from guilt and embarrassment to anger and frustration. And feeling these different types of emotions could be so confusing to the brain and the body. So this is just the impact of experiencing emotional abuse. But, you know, as Jessica has mentioned, that what happens when the dial on that self-concept is moving one way to the other because emotional abuse can also rewrite the stories that we have been telling about who we are and what is it that we need. If somebody has experienced emotional abuse, but that has that unfortunately has not been addressed or the person has not worked throughout, one of the biggest risks is that could become the normal prototype for a relationship. So the person may begin to justify or normalize that this, this just happens in all relationships. And as a result, they might not have the skills or supports or strategies developed and learned in order to identify future red flags. But again, even if the person had the supports or the skills learned to identify these red flags and successfully, effectively, that person has navigated the relationship and has terminated the relationship, it makes sense why there would be lingering anxiety and cautiousness towards future relationships. Um, and to some extent, it might be a good thing because, yes, we're using our lessons learned and skills learned to identify and distinguishing red, orange versus green flags. But um, the brain might be working way more harder and maybe overgeneralizing safety signals and threats. It may also affect the way that we attach and relate to other people. Um, so I think one of the biggest thing that we want to look at is when the young person has initially been exposed and has experienced emotional abuse, what has been the inner response, but also the external response, right? What kind of supports and strategies have been provided to that person to help them navigate it? In addition to justifying or just thinking that these are the normal behaviors, 
they might um, actually uh, feel uh, more anxiously attached or they might feel that those are the types of responses they need from a partner right so one of the uh, risk is that uh, we know that if somebody's using love bombing as Jessica has mentioned to really keep that power more you know keep that power maintain the power uh, make sure the person remains isolated but if that person in the relationship has not recognized that that is the function of the love bombing we may actually start looking for love bombing as a signal as a green signal for a relationship and if that love bombing is not present oh that means that person actually doesn't like me right oh you do not check up on me whether I am you know coming home at 10 p.m or 11 p.m you know what this person is actually not good for me right so um it, it really depends it, it can go in different other ways of, of spectrum um, but I think in the last five years uh, people who studies intimate partner violence romantic violence and relationship violence we have really been have been advocated that the effects on both physical and psychological health that we know that sexual and physical abuse uh, can manifest we see quite similar results for emotional abuse so we should be taking initial interventions, preventions for emotional abuse as diligently as we have been taking for sexual and physical abuse. Thank you so much, Dr. Maisha, for this conversation and for all of the insights that you've shared today. And also thank you so much to Jessica for everything that you've shared. And I'm wondering if you have kind of any last thoughts here before I pass it off to Annabelle. You know, we hope that the person who's experienced emotional abuse has enough structure prior to the relationship that, you know, coming out of the abusive relationship that they're able to recenter and find homeostasis in some way, and that it doesn't actually result in these sort of distorted perceptions about what relationships are. So I think on the flip side, um, where what can happen in future relationships is not, you know, further trauma, further deepening of attachment issues, but it can be actually, you know, being held by community after abuse, healing, recentering, realizing stuff about, you know, ourselves and how we can create boundaries in the future with people and having that, you know, in our platonic relationships with our friends be established too. And then meeting somebody who actually honors the trauma that we've been through, right? And who can actually, you know, understand when we get, you know, anxious as hell because we didn't get that text, right? That was normally this helicopter vibe from an, an abusive partner. And, you know, folks can talk through what those feelings are as they come up, right? And it's actually, a, it can be a beautiful healing experience too. So just wanted to present the flip side as well to, you know, where there's trauma, there can also be growth. Thank you so much for giving us some of the hope side of things on this, Jessica. And also just thank you so much for everything that's been shared so far. And I really appreciate both you and Dr. Maisha being here for this conversation. And now I'm going to pass it off to another awesome member of the ENYAC, Annabelle, who also has a couple of questions for you both. Thank you so much, Alexis and Mary, and thank you so much to our guests for being here today. I have two questions to ask. How can you support a friend who is in an emotionally abusive relationship? 
to support a friend who's in an abusive, emotionally abusive relationship, I think it's really, it's really important to remember not to criticize the abuser necessarily, because the person that you're speaking with still loves this person is probably deeply attached to them and is probably struggling to even see the behavior as negative at that point. So don't be judgmental or don't at least come across as judgmental, but it's really important to not make your response about you in that moment. And you can be honest that the behavior you hear sounds scary or troubling, but you don't want to scare the person away from talking to anybody else about the abuse. And I also want to say that, you know, you might be upset from listening to your friend and that's really, really valid. Even though you don't want to make the conversation about you, I think it's also important to talk to somebody else about those feelings that you're having. You know, when people tell us about violence they're experiencing, that can that can bring up a lot of terrible feelings. So we also need to honor that and validate that and work through that, but not with the friend who is trying to get out of an abusive situation or at least just disclosing that it's happening. You know, as friends, um, you're also coming from a place of kindness and compassion. And these are very, very common and fair feelings to have those thoughts pop up in our brain that I need to fix this, right? You are a friend, not the therapist or the adult, right? So I think, you know, I think many times I often work with youth who are processing their that need to protect their friend also feeling guilty and embarrassed because they're not being effective so I think as Jessica has just mentioned that one of the things that we could be for our friends is being a non-judgmental consistent support for them as an external observer as external listener if you are listening to these stories and these stories are becoming um, scary um, and you are worried about your friend's safety, then it's okay to reach out to an adult or give that person resources to reach out even anonymously, right? Because as we can say that emotional abuse can sometimes quickly escalate to something that might threaten a person's safety. So one of the things that we like to teach youth is what kind of resources they can give it to their friends. Thank you so much, Jessica and Maisha, for those incredibly insightful comments. And it also ties perfectly into my next question, which is, where can you go to find support, whether that be someone in an emotionally abusive relationship or someone observing an emotionally abusive relationship? So if you're seeking help for a friend, there's something that I want to point out first, which is to be aware that some, you know, sexual and gender minorities, if your friend is a sexual and gender minority, they might face barriers to getting support for dating violence for a variety of reasons. So you want to be careful not to out your friend to an adult who might tell someone else. So for instance, in most places, teachers are allowed to out a student as to us LGBTQIA plus to parents which could have serious consequences, even like homelessness, right? So even if you have the best of intentions in trying to help your friend, remember to put their needs first in this scenario and try talking to a 2S LGBTQIA plus adult in your life, or you can reach out to a sexual violence response center in your community to find adults who can help you um, and your friend's specific situation. If you're experiencing teen dating violence, Googling teen dating violence resources, a lot actually comes up and you can also find local places to call for help as well. 
I, I would say like many of the youth who I worked with who are tend to be either newcomer or um, racialized individuals uh, because um, teen dating might also be taboo and stigmatized and not accepted in some communities. So they might not be able to go to their parent because they will get into trouble for actually dating first. So um, just as Jessica mentioned, just um, looking at both online and in-person resources um, in the community. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we have been having more formalized conversation that there's such a need to train teachers and folks at the school how to respond if there is a disclosure happening um, in a very equitable and safe way. I also just wanted to point out, you know, we talked about so many heavy things today and things that are, you know, so real and so pervasive. Unfortunately, gendered violence is so pervasive, but there are lots of folks who are working on ways to end this, right? I, I just sort of want to end on a moment of hope that there's lots of folks working to make this world less violent. Um, there's folks that are there to support you. There is somebody who wants to listen to your story. So reach out. And specifically, I want to say to, to us LGBTQIA plus folks who are listening, lean into the positive aspects of queer and trans culture to find strength, right? As well as other cultural spaces to, to find strength, um, to remember that you matter. Thank you so much. I just want to wrap this up by saying thank you so much to Jessica and Maisha for their information and wisdom on this subject and all the amazing stories that they shared and the knowledge that they put forth. And I also want to thank Mary and Alexis for co-hosting this podcast with me and everyone at the ENYAC who works tirelessly to help people. This has been PrevNet's National Youth Advisory Committee's podcast on emotional abuse. Thank you to our guests, Dr. Maisha Saida and Dr. Jessica Wright. You can visit youthdatingviolence.prevnet.ca or at PrevNet on Instagram for more information on healthy relationships and youth dating violence.